This is episode 79 of the Rise of Man podcast with Jason Cohen, Strength in Unity. Blessings, Rising Man fam, and a very warm, warm welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. If you don't know me by now, I am your host and the creator of this show, Jetty Azuma. And man, do we have a hot episode for y'all today. Before we dive in, by now you might have heard about our newest event, Call of the Warrior. It's a one-day immersive event with over 100 men from all over the world. We're going to ignite our masculine power through ceremonial war dance of the Maori people called the Haka. If you haven't heard of the Haka before, make sure you go check out a video of it. Mark your calendars, Saturday, September 7th in Los Angeles. We're going to have my brother, Leon Ruri, flying all the way from Australia to teach us this ceremonial dance of the Maori people and to connect as brothers, as men in full expression of our masculine power. For more information, make sure you guys go over to rise.jediazuma.com warrior where you can register. If you guys are anywhere in the LA area or anything, any part of you is interested in waking up that deep untapped source of power that you haven't gotten to yet, make sure you join us. Make sure you find a way there because it's going to be epic. All right. My guest for today is Jason Cohen. Jason is the director of the Heartbeat Collective. He has experienced numerous healing and expressive arts rituals around the world. His knowledge, experience, sensitivity, and training as a ritual facilitator and his lifelong pursuit of exploring passion and subtlety in music have led him in service to producing over 34 forest dance gatherings, which have taken place in seven U.S. states and 12 times in Costa Rica. His experience at Forest Dance inspired his vision for Unifier Festival, a larger transformational healing and expressive arts festival with a mission that includes bringing people together to support and help steward community-owned land. Jason is a community organizer deeply committed to creating spaces where people can become empowered and inspired. He's a musician, a composer, a songwriter, and sings and plays keys and percussion with a few ensembles, including Incas and the Sacred Side Project. Jason is a proud and loving father and takes much of his inspiration from his humble and direct connections to nature and his ancestors. In this episode, we talked about the absence of initiations for our boys and how we can recreate them as a community. I know we've mentioned this many times on the podcast before, the need for rites of passage, the longing for initiation that young men, young boys have. And Jason had a very interesting take on this and how we could do this as part of this transformational festival culture that's that's emerging. We also spoke about Jason's call to gather people and following his intuitive gifts into that unique service that he has in his life. We talked about facing off with adversity, how Jason succeeded in enrolling support from local agencies and community members to create a transformational healing festival. We talked about how having the hard conversations is important and doing whatever it takes to fulfill our mission, as well as what's next for festival culture and how we can use these gatherings as a vehicle for change on an even bigger, bigger scale. So without further ado, Jason Cohen. Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man joining me this morning, all the way from the East Coast. Let's see, up in New Hampshire, is that correct, my man? Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. Okay, my brother Jason Cohen, man. Where in Mass, where in Mass are you right now? I'm in a town called Leeds. It's a neighborhood of Northampton, so central western Massachusetts. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, it looks beautiful out there. I think you guys are probably a little warmer than we are out here at the moment. Today, it's pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's definitely in the 80s today, I'd say. But we deserve that, I think, because it, it's we have a 15 minute growing season. It feels like sometimes <laughs> up here it gets cold. Yeah, you guys definitely earned that. You definitely earned that, man. And uh, you know, I didn't even get to ask you before we started recording. I heard a little secret that you're also from New Jersey, like myself. So, what part of New Jersey are you from? Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. Oh, you don't look like the Jersey Shore guys. <laughs> well, you know, Point Pleasant Beach, Point Pleasant Borough. Yeah, gotcha, man. Ocean County. Ocean County, right, right on the like the right near Ma- the Manasquan River, yeah, which is the be- the beginning of the inland waterway that goes all the way down to Florida. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm familiar, man. I know it well. I know it well. I'm laughing over here because 
what I just asked you, what I said about you don't look like one of the Jersey Shore guys is the same thing people always say to me. Yeah. The only thing, the only recognition that we have about New Jersey when you travel outside of state is, oh, wait, you're like the Jersey Shore people? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the big joke is, you know, the beach is that way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you got you to gotta flex <laughs> and point at the beach, which, you know, I'm trying to look like the guys from down there right now. <laughs> yes, man. Where are you from in Jersey? I'm from up in Bergen County, so right outside yeah. the New York City area. Sure. So, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, not far. Everything in Jersey is really close, so we're... Close relatives, man. But listen, I'm glad that you're on here today to dive into this conversation about gatherings and collecting people together and sharing mm. space and sharing community. But before we jump into that, I wanted to ask you a question I ask all the men. Yeah. What is the difference between a boy and a man? I feel like adolescent, you know, actually went right up past 30 for me. Mm. You know, the little last bits of adolescence trying to settle in who one is, you know, I think a true sense of purpose, like finding, finding why you're here and going for it really makes a big change. I'm sure you talk a lot about the lack of rite of passages in our society. There are certain cultures here that have those rites of passages, like the Jewish tradition of 13 is supposedly a man, right? When you have your bar mitzvah, I had a toga party instead of a bar mitzvah. <laughs> we served tacos. Now, did that feel like a rite of passage? for you? <laughs> well, we served tacos and we had seven bottles of hard alcohol that my friends had stolen from various places hidden in my crawl space at the age of 13. Ah, uh, okay. So no, I would say that didn't, that didn't, that <laughs> wasn't a rite of passage. Uh-huh. No, not at all, you know, but, but it speaks to where I came from, mm-hmm. what I survived, I think, and thankful that my parents gave me the space to explore and be free. You know, they, my parents were, didn't really believe in God. I would say they weren't spiritual people. They were creative people and good people, but they, you know, they had lost so much one and two generations before them in the Holocaust in two different Holocausts, really that kind of, I think a lot of people couldn't really believe in anything spiritual Mm. after that happened. And so I think, you know, being the youngest of three, Mm-hmm. They tried, I think they loosened up mm-hmm. a lot and just kind of let me do my thing in on the Jersey Shore. As you may know, that thing existed a lot about partying hard on the weekends and pretending going out, pick up girls sure. at the age of 13, 14 or 15. Yeah. Like that was the, that was the biggest, biggest mystery of all. And and not just on the Jersey Shore, but that's pretty, that's pretty widespread at this point. And if, I mean, if we're talking about rites of passage, yeah. you mentioned your family, a couple generations removed from the Holocaust. It seems to me that there's been many factors that have contributed to our loss of creating initiations for our young men. But the instinct to become initiated, to be initiated has not gone away. In my opinion, I think mm-hmm. that's something that's in our in our blood, in our DNA, so that when boys, young men, adolescents approaching this time of stepping into what you described as purpose, meaning, service, that we look for ways to initiate ourselves. We look for that that peak to jump off of. And sometimes it's like you said, it's seven seven bottles of alcohol, you know, and 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 togas or having sex for the first time, all these different things without the context of what initiation is all about. Mm-hmm. So, so what's your perspective on that? Because it seems like there, one reason or another, we lost that. Every, I believe every culture had that at some point, some way of initiating boys into men, but it's disappeared in a few generations. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure if I should speak to society or myself. I'll start with myself. And I just know when I was a boy, I always had a seeking mind for the mysterious like I knew something was going on that no one was talking about, like lots of things, mm-hmm. you know, like I felt energy in my hands, you know, super young in, in the midst of all this partying, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would feel energy in my fingers and then reflected on how people from all parts of the world, when they pray or meditate, they put their hands together for some reason, mm-hmm. you know? And so I started playing with energy when I was really young and was asking questions that sounded pretty silly, I think, out of the mouth of a 12 year old mm. and my grandfather passed my dad's dad and my mom kind of conceived me with my dad as a surprise i guess to try to cheer up his father mm. and supposedly i was born with three gray hairs and people feel like i was you know my, my dad's dad coming back uh-huh. you know so i was speaking some things <laughs> right away i guess you know uh-huh. but i mean i i think i think the the lack of you know obviously we're this country's a melting pot you know we're, we're in huge struggle right now you know a lot 
lot of the majority can't embrace that beauty, the potential of being a giant melting pot, you know, people from all over the world coming together. But I, I think what's going on in our country that can maybe speak to this lack of rites of passage is that there's this trauma, this fight or flight aspect that that gets, you know, we all come in with these unknown fears, things that we're just terrified of, and we have no idea what they are and where they came from. And, you know, I think it's like, it goes back a couple of generations to traumas that occur during wars, famines, you know, bad things that happen in our family lines. And I think so many of us are unable to access entire parts of ourselves. You know, if you're going to talk about men, I mean, this just goes through for everybody, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of our work is, is creating space for men to be creative and vulnerable and and have experiences where their hearts can catch up with their minds you know mm. in the mouth our mouth yeah and um and i think that there's just entire parts of who we are of the the orb that makes up our whole selves that are completely inaccessible and as we we get deeper generation after generation when when we stop teaching that to our kids and we go two or three or four or five generations in we don't have the tools to really start accessing those parts of ourselves and then you get into the entire pockets of the country where anybody that wakes up with that taste in their mouth that they're just longing for creativity and freedom and there's nothing but strip malls or you know fields with pesticides or or one religious outlet that doesn't sound good or feel good everybody leaves that area and goes to the city or finds somewhere else. And so there there are places where there are people without leaders and people without ways of being creative, without role models. And like coming from Jersey, as we talked about, I know there's a lot of folks that would vote in a way that I wouldn't want to vote right now and believe in things that I don't believe in that's best for people and for the country. And, you know, people that think that immigration is the number one problem at the border, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people are trying to protect, feel like everything's being taken away and they need to protect what little they have. But the reality is, is that I feel like, you know, I'm that close to, I could have been those guys, you know? Sure. I just, I was just blessed to have a couple creative people show up at the right time and kind of kick me in the ass or point me in the right direction. Yeah. Well, you, and, and help me. You, 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 I mean, you bring up a, a really great point. Uh, I want to touch on just a couple of quick things before we move on that the, yeah. the nature of our country and being a melting pot and how that's an opportunity Obviously, it presents its challenges, but how we really haven't tapped into that opportunity, I think that's a really fascinating perspective, especially there's a there's an article in National Geographic, I, th- I want to say it was a couple of years ago, and they had a, a picture, they said the new the new America, and they, they put a picture up of all these mixed faces, you know, you could tell that it was, it, it was children, it was older folks, younger folks, all Americans, but completely different. And they put up this huge mosaic of all these different faces. And I don't think we look at that enough. I don't think we really appreciate how, how unique of a situation this is. Everywhere, most other countries in the world, there's no other country in the world that's as diverse and, and eclectic and mixed as, as the, as America is. So it's a really fascinating perspective. And, and just, just like being real about that, that's a good chance is that you're an immigrant going back a couple generations or so like I've, everyone i've <laughs> everyone I've, <of> <laughs> I've called out i i recently called out a friend on social media you know who i know where his dad came from mm-hmm. you know when i was a, a young kid with him on the jersey shore like you know his dad didn't speak english and he's all for shutting down the borders now right and it's just like you know i'm just helping him love you know who he is mm-hmm. and, the, and like the parts that he wants to forget and it goes back to the fight or flight mm. thing like about the lack of self-love and the, there's some there's just stuff in there that we don't even want to get anywhere close to Right. And we, we don't want to embrace who we are and what we are and all that we are, right? So a lot of the work is the dark subconscious stuff, you know, mm. that's, that's a safe way to just start settling into the parts of ourselves that we don't understand. Well, and that's another... And that's another piece I wanted to dig into because yeah. I know in my experience, my, my mom reminds me all the time, I have, I have an older brother and a younger brother. And they were just in town. And she was telling us about how when we were kids, each of us had really, really interesting psychic experiences is the best way to describe it. So we would have these prophetic dreams and, and the, we would essentially, it was, it was like we were sleepwalking, but we would get caught in between worlds. And we, we would start telling her about these things that we were seeing that children just can't make up. And it was very scary for us. And, you know, my mom was, my mom and my dad were doing the best they could and they tried to help us negotiate that. But what it, what ended up happening is we just shut it out. 
we shut it down, each of us in our own way. And there's a 16 year spread between my older brother and my younger brother. So we just shut that part of us down as at a young mm-hmm. age. And I believe that that's what a lot of not just young boys, but children in general are asked to shut down parts of their sense sensory system, our ability to sense and communicate that leads to what you said, this lack of creativity, this lack of vulnerability, this lack of really expressing ourselves fully. And part of that, part of this work that I believe you and I are both on a same similar mission is encouraging people to reawaken that, to, to reanimate those parts of ourselves, whatever it was, so that we can be full and complete in our expression and then pass that on to the next generation. So I know you're a dad. I know that you're a leader in your community. So what are your perspectives and opinions on that? Well, I'm just wondering, I don't know if we, I think it's probably okay that we get personal, but I'm wondering, was, was there like a, a layer of shame or guilt or something that you needed to break through to get back into that part of yourself? You know, like the way it went. Down. I wouldn't say it was shame or guilt. It was more fear. Yeah. It, it was fear because um, I'll speak for myself. I don't know about my brothers exactly what they were seeing, but I would have dreams where I would see, and I, and not even dreams, but in in my waking time, I would see I would see spirits. I would see my my grandfather. I remember having a conversation with my younger brother, and he would see my grandfather walking around, and he never even met him. Mm-hmm. He, he my, my grandfather passed before my brother was born. So a lot of it was just this fear of the unseen, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. the extra mm-hmm. sensory world or the extra, the, the extra conscious world <laughs> of spirits and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. images. And, and, and also the same type of fear from my parents, just not knowing what to make of that because that part, whatever part of themselves was shut down too. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the fear, guilt, shame. You know, those are the big blockages that, that keep us from reclaiming the parts, you know, that we don't understand. Mm. Obviously, you know, I just feel lucky and blessed. You know, we're getting ready to do our 30, our 35th forest dance, which is coming up in September, the first week of September. Wow. And that is, that is this gathering that I was called to create based on mostly a, like a, a lineage of neo-pagan fire circle rite of passages that I, I was dabbling with around the turn of the millennium. Mm. And I got a pretty direct call from the land where I was to bring a fire circle gathering there. And it's, and it's just keeps evolving and, and getting better and better. And over the years during the ceremony, you know, as we all sort of shed all this, the symptoms of humanity, you know, all the things that are all of our armor, everything that's keeping us feeling like we're safe and we're who we're supposed to be. And, you know, the way we put ourselves together, you know, all that sort of uh, root chakra survival stuff. Once you know you're held and you're safe, things start shedding Mm. and it gets pretty deep. And I've noticed in these last few years that the the circle can kind of hold any when somebody, you know, like there's a lot of truth spoken. I mean, to give you a little broader idea of it, you know, there's musicians in a wedge in service all night long from midnight until dawn. Everybody gets to learn how to be the musician, lots of drumming, lots of rattling, uh, holding the juice, the life force and the fate in the space. Mm -hmm. And we're dancing. It's a circle dance around the fire. And a lot of like the, the lead, a lot of the angst, a lot of the intensities is usually burned off with pretty hard drumming in the first hour or two, first night. And then things start getting more subtle as we go. We play with forgiveness. We play with ancestors. You know, we play with different themes, shadow night or death night, you know, mm-hmm. all with these attempts to, lo- to lose the things that no longer serve us so that we can really remember who we are, what we're capable of. And then we start working towards sharing it back in our communities mm. on the last night. And as we create a safer and safer space to explore trauma, which is which is hard in a group of 45 or 65 or 80 people, sure. but it, it becomes pretty tight in there, pretty safe and deep. And the last few years, people have been sharing such powerful things and inspiring each other to have courage mm. to, to really share some powerful histories and traumas. And and even last year in Massachusetts, not only were people that were victims, you know, had self-identified as victims Mm -hmm. speaking up to remove guilt and shame, but perpetrators were actually coming out of the shadow and speaking to where the perpetration came from in their family Mm. and, you know, how it happened to them and following the direct line from the uncle or the father or the aunt, you know, and how they behaved at a certain age. And yeah, just really incredible. I have a lot of I was just so proud of our community for for the courage to speak so many powerful truths, one after another, come in and 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 clear that. And it it feels to me like 
and it felt to a lot of the people there that there actually was somehow a clearing out of, of guilt and shame mm-hmm. from people, almost rewiring themselves to, to be able to speak to the experiences that they've always ran, you know, stayed steered really clear of. Yeah. And I imagine that you create that culture over time. I think I heard you say this is you're about to do your 35th one or you just did your 35th one and it's been going over the course of almost two decades now, right? Yeah, the first one was in 2003 mm-hmm. on November 11th on the Harmonic Concordance mm-hmm. on the lunar eclipse. Nice. By coincidentally, we just picked a full moon, you know. <laughs> then, you know. Yeah, so you create that you create yes. that over time by just reinforcing that purpose and, and creating that culture and what you guys are doing in your own way is reflective of a lot of rituals and ceremonies I've heard of around grief and trauma clearing and healing that happens in those tight, safe containers. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested in what specifically it has been for you and why you've made it your mission to, to gather people. What, what is, what speaks to you? What lit that up in you? Well, I'm an, I'm at least a third generation get person. You know, my father's father brought people together Mm. And then my parents like to throw good parties on the Jersey Shore and bring people together. Mm-hmm. I always like to bring people together. I will say that when I was a kid, there was a desire to show people things are magical, basically, or things are fantastic. Like even in my flying dreams when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I loved flying, but part of me wanted to just say, look, this is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that the impossible is possible. And so there's sort of like a fool in me, I would say like that, you know, a romantic mm-hmm. about the unseen. And I just always brought people together. I always liked throwing parties. I always liked good music. Mm-hmm. And being a musician, I started playing the squeeze box many years ago and drumming. Mm-hmm. You know, I started on the piano when I was a kid. My mom brought a piano into the house when I was six. And when I started playing this accordion thing out out around fires, out at these gatherings, it just something pretty magical started happening for me there. That kind of brought me to these different gatherings where people were coming together on the fire, mm-hmm. playing for dancers, playing accordion for dancers, drumming for dancers. And yeah, when I did my first fire circle, it was just such a clear shift. Things woke up in me. I had 40 days, 39 days of miracles, basically, mm-hmm. you know, just amazing things happening. You can see photographs from the, the first year that I went to one of these fire circles to the next year. And it, I didn't quite look like the same person, you know, mm-hmm. like you could just see that there was a powerful cleansing going on yeah. and an awakening. And now, you know, I think once you go through the doorway, you know, you got to, it's definitely a lifelong commitment, Mm. you know, like the fire circle ceremony, you know, I have, I hold a lot up, I think, and there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing. And Mm. if I stop doing that one thing, none of the other stuff would be able to continue. I know what you mean. You know, Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you've seen this yourself when it, whenever you see somebody get around the fire for the first time and the instruments start to come out, those people who are new to that space, there's like, um, once they jump off that cliff and allow themselves to really let their let their soul respond to that, mm-hmm. there's they know exactly what to do. It's like we it's like our DNA has been doing this forever and ever and ever, so, and we're remembering. Yes. And you see people just light up, so true. Like just start dancing and playing, and that creative part of ourselves that whether it was suppressed or just dormant in our DNA just comes alive, right? I mean, I've seen brothers with you know, their dad's chip on their shoulder, you know, just like, like, what are these people doing on the first night? You know, like arms folded, whatever. Uh And, you know, half a night later or the next night are in their hips, you know, are crawling around (laughs) dancing their animal spirits or whatever you want to call it. Just completely embodied and alive. And it's that it would be nice to bring that to, to the middle schools. Yeah. You know, that that's for sure. Well, I think that that's happening in this, you know, people would call it the transformational festival culture, transformational festival world. But from what I've heard about Unifier, and there's an event out here called Lucidity that's just in my backyard, where it's it's really becoming more multi-generational oriented, where it's not just a place that you go to take psychedelics and dance to music all night, but a place to really Mm -hmm. gather and commune as as humans, as, as a people, as a community. Maybe that's a good segue for you to speak 
a little bit about the vision behind Unifier or why it's emerged and what, what really you guys are doing out there? Yeah, man. Well, I'll start from the personal place, I guess. You know, I, when I first did Forest Dance in 2003 and 2004, there was a way that I was, I felt like on a spiritual, energetic level, it was like I was risking everything. Mm. I've come into this lifetime somehow with a, a phobia uh, that I had at one time of not speaking in front of crowds. Mm. Even though I was a musician, mm-hmm. singing songs, like if I had a backtrack, eventually I'd be comfortable enough, you know, to talk to, to a community. But we did those first two gatherings and it, it, they put me right on my back mm. for sure mm-hmm. and, and made me a better person and was totally worth it. But it was a huge risk. And then over the years, I was doing forest dances, I was doing other gatherings. And I just had a realization at one point that I, I kind of had hit this gear in my life uh, and that I'm not taking the same kind of risks for the greater good mm-hmm. that I did when I first started doing forest dance. Mm-hmm. I, got a, I ended up with this virus, a fever. Mm. And I remember getting in the bathtub, some oregano oil. I'm like trying to, like the night before I was just stuck in a loop mentally. I don't know if you've ever been in a fever where like the same thought keeps coming around and around and around Mm -hmm. and you can't escape that place. And that had still been, I had been feeling it happening some more. And I just jumped in that bath and the idea, the memory that I had always wanted to have a larger gathering for the right cause came in mm. and this idea of having a healing expressive arts gathering with reverence for the land uh, multi-generational walk our talk with our food sourcing you know organic food sacred world music in an attempt to raise money over 10 or 15 years to support the land where the gathering is happening mm came in clear and I just started thinking about all the people that I knew in different aspects of the business, different businesses, you know, Mm -hmm. music businesses, booking, security. And I just started making a list and making phone calls. Like literally I got out of it when I got out of the tub, I was on a notebook and that Mm -hmm. kept me going back in the loop. It was really something. Mm -hmm. And um started creating a spreadsheet, started talking to people. Some of the people that I spoke to right away were just great people. One guy's one of our biggest partners here, uh, Gregory Jones, who I met through Johnny Dwork, who's out on the West Coast right now. But, and yeah, it was a, it was pretty clear. I'd already done five Sacred World Interdependence Day gatherings mm-hmm. to a July 4th alternative, mm-hmm. which we started for two sisters that were behind on the mortgage for their family farm. Mm-hmm. You know, And we outgrew that in the first year. The police came and some of us smudging behind the police as they came into our fire circle <laughs> at two in the morning, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we, that, that sort of became Unifier Festival. And the, the vision really is, is if people know that they have what they need and they have permission to act beautifully together, it happens. Right. And I think because of this forest dance ceremony, because of, of the humbling effect of the rite of passage, because we're not coming from a party scene, we're, we're actually coming from a ceremonial scene where we're, we're gratitude for the earth is an important part of it. Mm-hmm. And we've been building the community for so long. When people come to Unifier, they feel it right away. Mm. The way we're taking care of the land and each other and what is important to us, people just can tell that something unique is happening. You know, there's a clarity in the space. There, there's permission to expand the heart. There's, you know, that for a good reason, people are skeptical when they come into a large circle of people that are talking about spiritual things, right? Mm-hmm. So many of us, including myself, have gotten our ass whooped at being told what we're supposed to believe, sure. you know, or, or here's your magic pill or whatever else it is, you know. But there's just a way of disarming people, you know. We, we say forest dance and, you know, we, we welcome everybody's belief systems and we just ask for people to try this experiment for the weekend. Mm. or for the five days that we're together. And I talk about, you know, life force, will, and faith, and that the, this space is our, is our container for that, where we can amplify that willfully mm-hmm. by just making it juicy, you know, and that all good things are welcome and all, all truths are welcome, and that we're also sovereign beings, that, you know, that we're accountable and responsible for our own well-being, that we help each other, but that we're, we're in our own power here. You know, we're, we're sovereign. We take care of our kids. We take care of our elders. But let's not, you know, pretend that 
somebody who has a certain color shirt on or a certain color wristband is actually we're not giving our power to them mm-hmm. we can ask them for some help but like let's all let's all take it all back mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. let's take everything we've given away back and show up and just see what happens you know and we, we just get together there's little rituals and ceremonies during unifier you know we choose our our presenters and our acts based on heart and spirit mostly mm-hmm. and you know we just start getting inspired in the space yeah and and having having been to a number of different types of gatherings that, that spread across the spectrum as far as festivals and and gatherings go how how does how does unifier fit into the collective of of all these other festivals and gatherings that are happening right now and actually i, I was doing a little research and I, I came across an interview you did with shift i guess it's some sort of online publication out there and they asked you this question i wanted to to bring up again about what the what the biggest challenges facing the transformational festival culture are and and what what can we as a community do to respond to it so i thought that was no. a great question i would i would resurface for you what an interesting question 7:30 tonight i'm on a conference call with some of our staff members who were present during a psychedelic meltdown that three people had at Unifier. Mm. And it's the first time that we've ever called the EMTs. Apparently, somebody was getting a little violent. And the town has asked me to come a week from tonight and and have a conversation with them about what's going on. Mm. And when you have a small conservative town in the foothills of the Berkshires, a week after the festival, very few people are talking about how transformational, how much love, how much art, how much healing, you know, they're sitting around having coffee talking about these three people freaked out on drugs, you sure. know, and if there's, if there's 1200 people, it, you know, writing about how their life has changed or, you know, mm-hmm. like we, you know, it's, it's like with noise ordinance laws, you know, you can have a, you can have a thousand people having ecstatic life-changing experience and one grumpy mofo mm-hmm. can call the police and shut it down. Yep. And that's the, <laughs> that's the way the society works, you know? Mm-hmm. So, to me, that it's just, I mean, there's so many issues with it. There's the, the, the once fiery visionary person that is kind of the spark plug that's making things happen. But how does that person settle into a place of building lang- long-lasting relationships, mm-hmm. especially in the town and within the festival itself? Mm-hmm. Like there's a million things that have to occur. So figuring out a structure that's sustainable, how the festival can afford to do the work that it takes year round Mm -hmm. you know the east coast i mean i've heard the west coast festival circuit a lot of it survived on grow money Mm -hmm. you know like that's how the festivals kind of a lot of them started there was so much grow money going out there that that's not something we had have out here Mm -hmm. on the east coast uh maybe now it's starting to happen you know indoor stuff because it's legal now but yeah so so building relationships where you know, we show up in a new town and we're like, we're going to have this festival. And it's kind of like you're a conquistadoris, you know, you're coming in and you're like, it's great. It's going to be so different. And the people that have been living there, they don't really feel like it's their party. Right. You know what I mean? They might just want it to stay quiet. They're worried about what's going to change. They're worried about losing everything. You know, like they feel like they've already lost a lot. So how are you going in there and building relationships? How are you going to the closest houses and checking in with them? How are you inviting the children mm. of the people that are unsure, you know, and and talking to everybody in the town government? How is your relationship with the police departments and the fire departments? Mm-hmm. Those are all major pieces. And and I think it's got to be sincere relationships. And that, you know, we, our first year at Unifier, we were in Lebanon, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And we learned a lot. And we weren't welcome back. Mm-hmm. The, there was a local politician who had retired that just was like, I'm going to shut you down. Mm-hmm. And he had 40 people write letters. There were all kinds of farmers that loved us because we were supporting them, you know, and we weren't willing to go go through what it would take to try to sway that opinion. But we took all the lessons from that. And I'm super thankful for the chief of the police department in Tallinn. He's a friend that I hug now after these five, six years Mm. of being there, you know, Mm. fire department, everybody's amazing. Um, Really the government there loves us. Mm. There are people in the town that do not, of course, Mm -hmm. continually going back to, to letting those folks know that they're invited, they're welcome. It's not exclusive. 
how can we support you? How can we fiscally support you? Right. You know, like when we buy, when we, we spend a lot of money on the gathering, like we, we do our best to support the local economy in Tallinn, Massachusetts. And, and I think that's huge, man. I think that's a huge thing because what I'm hearing and what you're sharing is that there's a, a willingness, not and, and me, even more than a willingness, but an intention to really bridge the the gaps between generations, between f- mindsets, philo- philosophical belief systems, in order for everyone to have their space. And going all the way back to what we started speaking about as of America as a melting pot, it, what you what you're experiencing is like a microcosm of of the macro, you know, that this, this, and, and how challenging it can be for different belief systems, different mindsets, bringing in things that were once considered taboo and having them blend and be in relationship with, with more traditional ways of thinking. That is a huge challenge. And it's, it's really interesting to see how you've learned to navigate that by communicating from the heart and being really genuine and honest. And, and also I I imagine being willing to be in the uncomfortable, because it, you're, you're going to face a lot of scrutiny, a lot of questioning, a lot of skepticism when you're doing something alternative like you are. Yeah, there's a lot of risk taking. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of just learning lessons, you know, becoming a better person as you as you stumble through the best you can. How deep do you want your own philosophy to go? You know, we're, we're not, I just don't want some people to come and have a transformational experience because they're part of the population that I've been in relation with most of my life or something like that. Like this is a real deal thing, you know, again, that the last year, the, the chief and the sergeant and their two wives stood in the opening circle, holding hands with our community mm, you know, wow. and did that again this year. We are very intentional about diversity of every kind that we know how to be with. And it shows in our media, with our media team, please be aware of diversity, that this welcoming that is, is real, mm-hmm. you know, across racial lines, economic lines, religious lines, you know, the, the whole awesome them thing is not where it's at, right? Yeah. So it's, it, I think it's real. And when you come to the gathering, no matter who you are, and you see people lighting up, in their hearts and in their eyes and trusting it's it's powerful stuff mm-hmm. and i do i do think when it's genuine and you're willing to take risks to make it happen and you're willing to spend more money to make it happen that you don't have mm-hmm. right all these things yeah man these risks were taken like people get it people hear what they need to hear to step in and it's beautiful yeah well let's 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 follow that for a second i want to make it a little more personal cuz Something you said right there about the willingness to invest and, and not, not just financial resources, but time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears, fueling a vision, fueling something that compels you forward is, I mean, that's, that's this podcast. That's all the other work that, that I do. And I'm so on that, in, in that space right now, man, in that space of doing whatever it takes to fulfill on what I see, what I believe in. And I'm interested in hearing that from you because I know from what I've heard through the grapevine, you guys just had your seventh year of building Unifier or it's it's been seven years in the making, if I'm not mistaken. Well, we've been working on it for seven and a half years and we just okay. did our sixth. So that's that's a long time to be to be building something. And I know what it's like to build something from from just an idea. And I would I wonder if you would just speak to your personal journey, your journey as the man stewarding this mission and enrolling people onto it. What have you learned? What are the challenges? What's it been like to not give up on that vision? Woo! goosebumps man Mm. so like i mean it is a journey you know the first year i mean i feel like in transparency there's something to gain from backing up and talking about the property that i found in jamaica plain that i owned for 18 years that was a little haven quadruple lot with some garden beds and a three-family house creating community and doing healing expressive arts that's where the heartbeat collective was founded Mm -hmm as a household and as a production company with all of the ups and downs as a haven and a weird structure mm-hmm. and, you know, intentional community in the city where everybody was busy and where a lot of beauty occurred. That property that I bought, I was pretty committed to keeping that happening in Boston. And then through some certain journeys and deaths, I had a clear understanding that it was time to create a greater good mm. uh, with that property. And I went, I live in Jamaica Plain, which is a neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. through three, three gentrifications. I had found this property. It was an old junkyard 
literally with broken down trucks, a boat, a dune buggy, <laughs> engine blocks, deaggregated concrete, you know, and we, we made it nice over all those years. And we were right on the edge part of the neighborhood where it would be considered a little more dangerous mm-hmm. at different times when we first got there. And I really got the clear hit that it was time to, to leave and go to the the country, you know, the woods, Western Massachusetts for this project. And I researched different builders, seven different builders in the area. And so through being blessed and being hardworking as far as, you know, making sure that I, I worked out an arrangement that was to my favor, it, gentrification actually produced the money for mm. the first unifier festival this the the building of these buildings and so that that's that's real that's part of our history i often share like uh, the people in the neighborhood sold their houses you know and it kind of makes me feel a little bit better mm. uh, about it i always sit with that like my hispanic neighbors cashed out most of them long before i did you know mm-hmm. and it was this beautiful piece of land we eventually made it into a beautiful piece of land and we had a fire pit there. We did lodge there. We had, you know, Starhawk came in our barn and mm-hmm. spoke over the years, all these amazing musicians and people, mm-hmm. but it was time. It was clearly like a hundred percent after 18 years in that space, like it's time to move on. I, I ended up finding this guy and he redid the three, the three apartments and then built these three townhouses. And I got a lot of dough for it at the time. And it was after I just had the vision for Unifier. So to me, the universe was gave brought the money mm-hmm. for Unifier, and that's why I came up. Prior to that, I'd been I was a musician with a man, like a man with a van, and then I started my own moving company for 21 years called Dragonfly Movers mm-hmm. that I ran most of the time out of that house. And so all in service to bringing Unifier, this vision for Unifier, to light. Correct. I mean, that- one thing after another. So, so, so the money came in. The first unifier in Lebanon, like it was fully articulated. It was a beautiful offering, and I was just sure everybody was going to show up. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and we ended up having like three hundred ticket sales. You know, and I was shocked at the fiscal loss, mm-hmm. the finance. I, I just couldn't believe it because my entire heart was trying to offer the world such a beautiful thing, you know, mm-hmm. but I learned so much. Mm-hmm. And then the second year, you know, more people will come shocking how much we lost third year, more people came, but shocking how much we lost, Yeah, yeah. you know, building a relationship with the Girl Scouts of Connecticut. They told us that we could purchase this property at some point in the future that we were first in line for the 417 acres of Camp Timber Trails. Mm. And that, that felt good in 2016, we built our own stage you know, out of trees on the site there. Nice. And then after that year's gathering, the Girl Scouts stopped returning our, our call. And they stopped returning our call afterwards. And we found out that they were putting that property up for sale. Huh. Like way before we were ready. And at that time, folks that we had already met with, members of the dance from England community, that is an ecstatic dance community, a generation older, mm-hmm. they, they said they wanted to buy a place for their camp. So I went in with those guys. We created an LLC. They created the LLC and I jumped on board. And for one year, we had a much smaller gathering at a different location because we couldn't get a contract. Lost a good amount of money, but not as much money because we had a smaller <laughs> gathering and bought this property, 417 acres mm. on the foothills of the Berkshires. Wow. Two days after Unifier Roots, the fourth Unifier happened. Last year, we returned home in all of our glory as co-owners of the property. Mm. Lost an enormous <laughs> amount of money again. And you know, this year, the Heartbeat Collective actually after all these years, got our 501c3 status, mm-hmm. which oversees Forest Dance and Unifier now. Mm-hmm. And this was the first year that it, I wasn't spending any money mm. on the gathering because I've spent all my money, basically. I've secured this house here yeah, yeah. on the river. But you know, all the money went where it was supposed to go, back to creating this, rooting this incredible offering. So, so let, me, let me ask you about that piece, because obviously a huge yeah. part of the journey for something like this is the is the financial piece it's it's the money and i hear you, i heard you saying you know we did it and we lost a bunch of money and then we then we did it the next year and we didn't lose as much money but we still lost money and year after year after year investing in your vision and not seeing a return in that particular domain what what inspired you to keep going to not give up to not say oh man i just can't do this anymore because i'm sure you had those thoughts I'm sure that those thoughts come in of like, wow, this is, this is tough. This is, this is a lot to face. I don't know if we can keep doing this. 
Man, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. You know, I've witnessed miracle after miracle in service to the sacred fire right. and, and I absolutely have always been held if I'm just giving it up for the fire mm. to the point of ridiculousness. Mm. You know, when I was running my moving company, like how am I going to even pay a bill? Mm-hmm. And it, I can't go do the sacred fire right now. Right. And I go to the fire and you know, there's eight new jobs on me when I get back. You know, it's just like I have been shown again and again that I'll be held. And a lot of people might think that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's caused some issues mm-hmm. for the people that have been close to me, mm-hmm. you know, in transparency. Mm-hmm. But this is who I am and this is why I'm here, man. You know? yeah. So like, and... To say that, and now that there's this incredible board of managers at the Heartbeat Heartbeat Collective that's meeting every Monday, mm-hmm. but I'll be meeting later today mm. at three o'clock Eastern Standard Time, like helping hold the weight. You know, this year was really incredibly different, and we downsized. We we spent around fifty percent of what we usually spend. We call it a campout this year, and you know, on Sunday morning of Unifier Festival, when I was told how many tickets we sold, mm-hmm. and that. For the first year, and you know, I'm talking about a hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. losing, mm. right? Wow. Or more, mm-hmm. or more, 125. When I was told that we were breaking even in the office, I grabbed a couple coffee cups and drink cups off my desk, went out of the office into the kitchen, started washing them, and I sobbed like a baby. Mm. I sobbed, man. Mm. You know, I had no idea, but it was like not the vision for trying to hold this up in New England where a lot of us are often in our minds, mm. you know, it gets cold out here, you know, mm-hmm. we're in our heads a lot and it's hard to get in our heart. And like the part of me that is a medicine person, the part of me that is just like pleading for connection and for, for the land and for songs that are good songs mm-hmm. being sung and shared, like to finally be held by the community, mm-hmm. you know, for this work that I've been working on so hard for so many years just broke open man and it was beautiful i was so thankful for every tear you know let it come yeah and the the financial return i'm sure is is amazing right seeing seeing the break even point that's that's like what gets the attention but it's really what you said right there right it's it's really seeing all of the people who've come to support what you what you were initially inspired to do and you know having all these conversations with different officials, different people in the town and, and seeing it all come to fruition. That's really the payout, isn't it? Being held by the community? Yeah. And, and um, I mean, the payouts, when we purchased the land, that was a payout. Mm-hmm. There's always one or two moments at the gathering where I know it's so obvious that we're in the sweet spot and the community mm-hmm. is in the ecstasy. Yeah. You know, yeah. lots of moments. I mean, there are so many payouts. <laughs> there are so many payouts. I I get to see people change. Like I see them a year later, right. you know, and I see what they're doing. A lot of us have moved to the West Coast. <laughs> they go to Unifier, they go to Unifier and then they're like, what's going on? I got to check out all the festivals, you know, right. and, and they just get blown open yeah. and they, they start traveling the world. I see them in Costa Rica or whatever, you mm. know, but uh, yeah, the, there's... Yeah, there's a lot of payouts, man. A lot of the times with my daughter, the payout, my, when my daughter comes to Unifier with me or mm. comes to Forest Dance with me, you know, like, I mean, if I could skip to Forest Dance, in our model, there are two fires. One's the root fire behind the musicians usually where we brew tea from plants we find in the woods mm-hmm. where we're dancing. And it's like the quiet spot for prayer um, or for brewing the tea and serving it as medicine, subtle medicine. And then the fire in the middle, we dance around. It's like the more active fire, solar fire. Mm. And after the third sunrise, the last morning, my daughter, Micah, who will be four at the next forest dance Mm. that happens, woke up and she said, Daddy, can I serve tea Mm. from the root fire? And she, I said, yes, you can. (laughs) And she went back, she went back in there, you know, in front of the sacred Guanacosta tree, Guanacosta tree. You know, my mother's ashes the year before went into that root fire at the mm. gathering, right? Mm. Like in the Jewish tradition, you bury your own with your own hands, you know, the closure. And Micah came three three weeks after my mother passed, you know. So I went right from grieving to no more grieving, the wonder and miracle of life and joy coming in. Right, right. And so the year before, I was really able to grieve the passing of my mother at that root fire. And so to have Micah 
pouring the tea, the sacred tea in that spot. It was like my, my three generation experience, you know, my mother was there, my daughter was there and everybody started just showing up and having this little three and a half year old serving tea out of the root fire. It was, that was a moment. Yeah. That's, that's the one right there. That, that's, that's the one right there because of all the things, of all the results from your hard work, your effort, your vision, your perseverance, there's that moment. There's more, and I'm sure there's many others, but moments like that. I know for me, probably six months ago at this point, uh, I was helping um, an uncle of mine rebuild a sweat lodge that had been there for 15, I think it was over 15 years, and it was time to rebuild it. And so I brought my my son, who's he was three and a half at the time, he's almost four himself now, and he's been raised in these ways in ways that I wasn't, of sitting up in, in teepee ceremony, going to sweat lodge, tending a fire, splitting wood, working with your hands. And in that moment, when I saw my, my son praying at the fire with a, with a handful of tobacco, offering it, speaking, speaking from his heart, you know, without any prompt, just speaking, praying, giving the tobacco to the fire. And then as we went around and, and, and we're building the lodge and he was, we were digging the holes for the poles and he would be the one who put the tobacco in, who poured the water and said the prayer at each one. Like, like that, all the, all the, everything that it took to get to that point, everything that it takes in my life so that I can provide that for my son. And now for my daughter mm-hmm. who was just born, that's mm-hmm. it. That's, that's, that's all I needed. All I needed mm. to see and, and, and to, to, to confirm the effort that I've put forth in my life. So, so in, in relating, in relating that to, to you, I, I just think there's such a, such a brilliant piece that oftentimes what we're looking for as a result is not actually the part that makes the biggest difference. You know what I mean? Cause it's so easy to focus on I the, do. on the money piece because that's part of how we operate. But anyway, I, he- I heard that in your story and I could really relate to that. How old is your boy? He'll be four in September. So September what? 25th. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My girl's birthday is September 3rd. Oh yeah. Okay. And and I'll tell you, she turned three just because I'm funny like this. She turned three years old, three minutes after the sunrise, the third sunrise <laughs> at the 33rd forest dance. <laughs> that was her third birthday for real. Powerful little girl. Uh, <laughs> she, she was, she was born during forest dance. So when the community said, you know, there's two forest dance. I said, well, my kid's going to be coming right around then. You guys, you know, you're going to do this one without me. And everybody said, yeah, we're going to do it without you. <laughs> so, so that was great. That's yeah. awesome, man. Uh, so I, I haven't been, I haven't been to one forest dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for good reason. For good reason, of course. Um, yeah, man. Well, listen, man, it's been amazing having this conversation with you, just hearing Hearing you share your story and your perspectives on gathering people and, and what the efforts you put forth to really make it happen. It's a really inspiring story, man. And I'm sure that the guys who are listening will get a lot from it. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple of uh, lightning round questions. Quick, quick, mm-hmm. quick questions, quick responses. You ready for that? Sure. All right. So what is one thing you've learned that you wish you knew back when you were 18? Quick responses. <laughs> I learned a lot when I was 18, brother. That was an interesting question. I, I, I would say I just wish I was exposed to to rites of passage sooner, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be sweat lodges or how to make fire from scratch, or I wish I went to the sacred fire. Mm. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I feel that one hard. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Service, being service. Yeah, man. I agree with that 100%. All right. And, and then lastly, how can those who are listening follow you, track you, learn more about Unifier and Forest Dance? Where would you like people to go? Yeah, man. So uh, I, the Heartbeat Collective is our nonprofit right now. And you can find out you know, that's www.heartbeatcollective.org. There's a forestdance.org website going live today. There's the unifierfestival.com website. We haven't talked about my music much at all, but Incus is incus.net incus mm. that's the anvil bone in your ear the smallest bone in the body uh-huh. between the hammer and between the hammer and the stirrup <laughs> and without it you wouldn't hear a thing nice and incus is a my music is a huge part of who i am and what i am and their medicine songs that are also rocking sort of like world sacred music and they're inspired a lot of them the wisdom is inspired by the sacred fire circle and the chants kind of become the hooks. Nice. And I've been really blessed to play with some pretty amazing people. 
on the project over the years. So beautiful, man. And then I think Camp Timber Trails is an important thing to mention. You know, the 40 something people got together and bought that property up there. And we're surviving as a rental facility right now. It's, you know, we're, we haven't made it over the hump. I think if we make it through this year, we're going to be good. We have a decent business model. There's over 40 investors, people coming together just to leave this legacy wow. for future generations, you know, a place to do the types of things we talk about doing. Awesome, man. And that's camp timber, camptimbertrails.org. Beautiful. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, we'll make sure we make those links available in the show notes so people can go check you guys out. When is the when is the next Unifier and Forest Dance or, or whatever you have that's open and available to the public? Sure. Well, the next Forest Dance is happening at Camp Timber Trail September 4th to 8th. Nice. Okay. And it usually happens right around Labor Day. And then we go to do a Costa Rica. It'll be our 13th Forest Dance Costa Rica. It happens usually in February or March the end of February, the beginning of March in Costa Rica. Nice. And that's pretty amazing. And then Unifier happens on the summer solstice Okay, every year. So that's like around June 21st, right in, right in there, the four days. Beautiful, man. Well, people can mark, start marking their calendars now, start planning for that back out on the East Coast. Listen, man, I love what you're doing. I really can relate to the journey that you're on. And I'm inspired by what, I, what I've learned about you and what I've seen you create and really recognize your, your medicine and being a man who's committed to fulfilling on a vision that he received. So thanks for, thanks for doing the work that you do, even just in inspiring myself and other men out there to, to not give up, to, to keep risking, to keep going for it, and to, to gather people for a good cause. Thank you, Jedid. Big gratitude for having me on. Bringing, bringing good people together and, and sharing our stories. I'm really thankful to have this time today with you. Likewise, my bro. And, uh, and I hope to bring my family out there for, uh, for a Unifier Festival one of these days. Well, you can. You can bring them for Forest Dance too, you know. Yeah, all right. Well, well uh... that's, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Kids, we do make, we, we're getting, you know, once you become a dad, you get better at making space for the kids, right? Amen for the whole that, family. Man. Made a big shift. Like, you don't know what it's like to be a parent and you can't. Mm-hmm until you are and then you know it makes us more whole and you know there's there's room for the kids at our gatherings now we've gotten pretty good at it so anytime you want to come out with your family just let us know (laughs) we'll do my bro thank you for uh thank you for the invite and thanks for taking the time today man appreciate you okay you too take care there you have it, folks. Another powerful episode from a very powerful man. Good man doing good work out there on the East Coast. My biggest takeaway in this conversation was listening, reading in between the lines of Jason's journey and how he was able to coordinate between local law enforcement, um, emergency response professionals, local legislators, political leaders, etc., to enroll a whole community in allowing this to happen. Because I know that there, there's a lot of resistance to the unknown, to the taboo, to the alternative. And in order for us to create the experiences, to create the events, to, to have gatherings that we believe in, that amplify our lives and bring people together, it requires communication across a number of different generational boundaries, cultural boundaries, philosophical boundaries. And it was really, really powerful to see how Jason's navigated that. So make sure you guys give him a follow, support everything that he is doing out there, whether it's going out and attending a forest dance or unifier festival, or simply donating to the collective that he spoke about, who is stewarding those 400 acres of land. A really wonderful man who's doing good work out there. As I mentioned on the top of the show, we've got our Call of the Warrior event live and coming up on September 7th. Get your tickets now by going over to rise.jediazuma.com slash warrior. Speaking of gatherings, this is going to be a very, very powerful gathering of men. I just got done chatting with my man Leon about the details of what's happening and the momentum and the energy continues to build around this. So make sure you find a way to be there with us on Saturday, September 7th in LA. It's going to be incredible and we want as many men that can join us as possible. So head over there, get yourself registered. As always, check out the show notes for links and resources pertaining to this episode and others at therisingmanpodcast.com. Shout out to my man, Julian, who's doing awesome work with that. Thank you, brother. Please subscribe to the Rising Man Podcast wherever you're listening to us or follow us 
us or leave a rating, leave a review, or D all of the above because it really helps to move the Rising Man message forward and continue to attract more listeners and guests to the Rising Man podcast. So think of it as your way of giving back. If you haven't ever or in a long time left a rating or a review, please do so because it really helps the Rising Man cause. Please check us out on Instagram if you don't already. Give us a follow at Rising Man Podcast. This is where we're putting up all those awesome images and sound bites from the episodes. My man Rowan Tyne hooking us up on the Instagram and all the socials. Thank you for the work you do, my bro. Special shout out to Mark Rose, my man who is leading our Rising Man Fire Circles and coordinating the community so that we all stay strongly knit and united together. He's doing some great work in there. And speaking of which, if you guys are not yet a part of our Rising Man Fire Circle, our virtual community, virtual mastermind of men from all over the world, we're up over, I think it's 16 men now, all different countries, and quickly approaching 20 now that we've introduced our European Fire Circle. So if you guys are interested, you can head over to patreon.com slash rising man, get yourself signed up at the $33 a month tier, which is going to get you access to our private Facebook group, our monthly calls, we have two every single month, including a bonus one for the European guys, just a wonderful community of men who are getting together, who are raising the bar in their lives and taking the wisdom and the messages from these podcasts and applying them to their life with accountability of the space of the circle. So make sure you join us there. Thank you, Mark, for shepherding that space. And last but not least, my man, Sean Offenbach at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X, the audio master, the one who's making these episodes sound so crisp and so clean. Thank you for all the work that you do, my brother. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.